0: Hi, I'm Tiffany Tegel, and I'm Fanny Gabor, and we are the co-founders of The Change Agents, a boutique recruiting firm focused on servicing top talent and clients at the intersection of technology and communications. We started The Change Agents because we knew we are stronger together and we want to change tomorrow together with our clients. We are bringing you grounded through change because we love talking with leaders and finding out how they navigated career transformations. We talk about leadership, mentorship, and how to navigate the job market while maintaining peak
1: performance. We hope this podcast inspires anyone who is looking to make a change in their career and anyone who is interested in learning how these industry leaders navigate transitions while remaining grounded through change.
0: We are so excited to have Judith Harrison here with us today. I had the privilege of working with Judith at Weber Shenwick, and Judith leads Diversity, Equity and Inclusion globally at Weber Shenwick. She drives programs designed to build a diverse workforce operating in a culture of inclusion and belonging to create impactful, innovative communication solutions for clients. Judith's background includes human resources experience and communication positions um, and programs at Burson Marsteller, Ernst & Young, CBS, Random House and more. Judith, thank you so much for being with us. And if you can give us a quick overview of your background and how you navigated change and how you got to Weber Shenwick to start with, that would
1: be amazing.
2: Sure. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. I have navigated a lot of change um, in my career. And one thing that's actually not on my bio is that the first change was going from being a jazz and pop singer to going into PR. That was my first <laughs> um And I, I loved music, hated the music business. And while oh I was going out and singing clubs at night and recording, I was trying to pay the rent. By being in a PR agency, and that was Person. And so, when I got to the point where I decided that if there was anything else in this world that I could do besides music that would make me happy, um, I thought, okay, PR is it. You know, I've liked the work, I liked the people, I thought it was intellectually engaging and fun. So, that was my first pivot into something that was completely different for me. And then the second pivot, um, was going from being a PR practitioner to being a recruiter and an HR leader in, in PR. And then the third and most impactful pivot for me was going into diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I did that because in my many years in PR, I had seen that there was a huge opportunity to do much better in this space, and people were talking about it endlessly but not actually doing anything and so I thought what is most important to me and not just in terms of what I can do now but what is the impact I want to have in the world and what is the legacy that I want to lead and that legacy is really about opening doors and advancing underrepresented people, um, women, people of color, people with disabilities, people who are not getting enough of an ear society and whose words are not included in our business and the way that we are engaging with all of these publics. I
1: have so many questions. I mean, way, way to kick off this talk, Judith. I mean, please. I, I, I'm like salivating. I don't know where to go first, but I got I got to I got to touch on the music, the okay. music career as a singer. Okay, where can
2: we hear your tracks? Like, I am so- in my house. Um, that's where they are. At this point, I actually started out. um, I come from a quasi musical family. When I say quasi, there's one person in the family who's (laughs) extraordinarily talented, right? And that was my aunt. She was a classical pianist and opera singer. She trained in Italy. When she would sit down at the piano um, to play, the family would gather around. It was like Jesus had come. You know, it was just amazing. Um, And so I started taking, she's my first piano teacher, actually. So I started taking lessons with her when I was five, um, took singing lessons, moved into jazz and pop because I was not really cut out to be an opera singer and loved it. Um, And I would work all day. This is why God gave us our 20s. I would work all day and then go out and sing in clubs at night. I would be recording in the middle of the night. I'd get home like, Four, five o'clock in the morning, just enough time to take a shower, get a good half hour of sleep, and then go into the office. So, um, but I loved it. I, I absolutely loved the musical part, and I loved meeting some extraordinary musicians and really, really, um, incredibly talented people with a different way of looking at life and a different kind of intelligence. And it was just awesome. But you know. Um, it was sort of the home of Me Too way back in the day. Not pretty. And I just thought, do I, need, do I want a record deal that badly? No. But, <laughs> you know, it was people were pretty explicit. One producer in particular was quite explicit about what needed to happen. Great voice, but here's what you need to do to get that record deal. And I was like, oh, I really don't think so. So that was really what led me to pivot into public relations. Wow.
0: Good for you. Good for us. That's how how we we got to work with you. Um, So many people ask us who want to make pivots, you know, how how do I know that? How do I do that? But how do I know it's the right time? So how did you know it was the right thing for you to be in PR and then recruiting HR and then
2: and I. Um, And how did you know it was the right time? Well, I knew it was the right thing because it was engaging. PR was engaging in a way that I had not anticipated. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, when I first got into this business, I thought that things that I saw on the news, like let's say there was an announcement about a new drug discovery or something, that all of the reporters just happened to run out at once, you know, and find this story, as opposed to thinking that there was actually an organization or a group of organizations behind this, um, and to and to making the news. And so when I figured that out, I thought, wow, this is fascinating. Who knew? Um, and there was just so much that I could learn. So I loved it from the perspective of always wanting to learn new things, always having to read about new industries. It was awesome from that perspective. So I knew that that was the right thing to do. Um, The pivot into HR and recruiting was really not not a choice that I sort of went into in a gung-ho way. It was because there had been a recession. And in the recession, I lost my job, everybody and their sister and brother lost their job. And so we were all freelancing right, as PR practitioners with the same companies. How many freelancers could they hire? Right. So it got to the point where I thought, okay, I need to be able to do something else. And so when the market started to come back, instead of going back as a PR practitioner, I thought, why not use all of the contacts that I've made over all these many years, right, to create a new path for myself, right? So I'm still engaging with people I really like and really respect, but just feel like I have a little more control over what happens to me. So that was really the genesis of that pivot. And then what felt right for me after a few years was that I wanted to move into HR. And the reason for that was that at that time, um, HR was starting to be seen as much more of a strategic partner to businesses than they had been before. I used to call it the place that ideas went to die because I thought that in that was the reputation it had. And it was true, it was called personnel, um, which tells you a lot. Um, so I had started reading like Harvard Business Review and Fortune and all of these magazines that were saying it was a brand new day. And so I thought, now this could be interesting. It's having impact from a different perspective, but still dealing with great people, right? Because I wanted to stay in the industry. Um, And so that was how I wound up at Finn. And while I was there, um, I thought, okay, I was there for nine years. After nine years in a family-run business, you kind of hit your limit Um, At least I had hit my limit. And I thought there needs to be, there has to be more. And so during that period, I was also leading the HR round table of the PR council, which was brand new at the time. So I had led that for three years. Once again, meeting great people, because I was networking with all of the heads of HR at Peer companies, right? So I would have them over at my office every month. So when it was time for me to look for a new job, I just started calling my friends and saying, it's time for me to get a new job. Um, and that was how I wound up here. And through that whole period, I could see not just that period, but my the whole through line in PR, something had to be done about DEI. It was just, uh, I felt it was a desperate time um, because society was changing and we were not. So I knew in my gut that that pivot was right. And once I made the decision to pivot that way, it felt as though a lot of things started falling into place. Um, And it it was absolutely amazing. It was like serendipity. So a couple of examples. We wanted to help women move forward because even though women are the majority of this business, at that time, there were very few women in the C-suite. So it was all of these women layers below, but not in the C-suite. Okay. So one year on vacation with my husband in Budapest and Prague. Wonderful. Wow, my hometown. Your hometown. I (laughs) loved it. So I spent a little time beforehand just trying to learn to say two sentences in each language, Hungarian and Czech, just to be, you know, (laughs) to try and be a good citizen. So anyhow, we get there and we're on this tour. um, And this woman from our tour comes and sits with us at breakfast. You know, you do these tours where you're together with people for a week. So she sits with us at breakfast. We start talking. We bonded over our love of mad men, which was kind of new at the time. And so it turned out that she was a past president of New York Women in Communications. So I went halfway around the world to meet this woman who was very influential here in New York in my industry. As soon as we got back, she introduced me to the the current president and got me on the board. And so I've been involved ever since. I was a two-term president um, and it has been phenomenal for me in my ability to see what can uh, be done and do what can be done to move women forward. And then at the same time, um, I was serendipitously introduced to someone running the PRSA Foundation all about promoting diversity and inclusion in PR, right? So Andy Polanski, who was our Weber Shadwick's president at the time, introduced me to the PRSA Foundation president. And I was off to the races then too. So it was just amazing that once I thought, okay, here's what I wanna do with my life, like all of these avenues started to open up to enable me to do it.
1: Yes, I think that, I'm, I'm so glad that you, you called that out because I do believe that, once you commit to the decision, the dots always align. You yeah. know, if we could get out of our own way and just say, "I'm doing it," like universe always provides. You just have to trust and commit uh, first and foremost. Um, I had a ton of identification with your story. I mean, I too started in PR and then transitioned into um, recruiting. And um, diversity obviously is a huge challenge across many industries and. You know, I mean, I, a a majority of my career was spent in advertising and, um, you know, I always feel like the way that they would approach it would be like, go to these events, you know, um, like, but there was never really like a strategic plan, you know? So I'm curious, you know, with, you know, this very large tenured career focusing on this, are there companies that are approaching the diversity landscape well, in your, in your opinion? Or are there things that people are missing that they could be doing better? Because I feel like so many companies are, are really struggling and they want to get it right, but they end up more focused on like the numbers. And that, to me, is the fact antithesis of what
2: the diversity issue is. So would love to hear your thoughts on that. May I say amen. Um, I have always, always said that diversity without inclusion is nothing. It is meaningless. It does. If you you could recruit the live long day and bring in people from all kinds of backgrounds, but if once they get to the organization, you are not listening to them, you are not creating equity for them, they're coming from different places, coming from different starting points. If you are not creating equal opportunity and actually leveraging the backgrounds and the experiences that they bring to the table, then you have nothing but a revolving door because they come and then they leave because they, they don't feel that sense of belonging you know that everybody's looking for. So I, th- I think that some client side organizations have done a much better job um, than those of us on the agency side. I think everybody's trying to get to the same place. I don't think people are paying enough attention to the inclusion and equity portion. So for us, um, it's not just It's not just about the recruiting, which frankly this year is not going to be hugely robust, but it is about establishing relationships. Recruiting is about relationships, so it's not just... You can't do just-in-time recruiting, especially with populations that are not particularly embedded in the industry, right? So, there's that whole aspect of relationship building, but then a huge area of concentration for me and for our team here has been the inclusion and the equity pieces. So, for instance, on the inclusion side, um, it takes education, like what do people need to know about inclusion. Everybody wants to be inclusive. Everybody thinks they're being inclusive. Maybe not so much. So I think that um, for us to really understand kind of where we are in terms of our thinking about race and ethnicity, which are two of the major things that we deal with in addition to disability and and, um, sexual orientation and identity, we need to know where we came from to understand like how we got to this point, how that impacts the way we think today, how that impacts the way we interact with each other, and then how that impacts the work. So we did, after George Floyd um, was murdered, we did a year of training, live training, a three-hour course called Understanding the Black Experience in America that was extraordinary and it took us from 1619 to the present and it was actually created with this uh, tremendous consultant and one of our clients who had made a huge mistake in terms of their approach to um, multicultural audiences in trying to, to sell one of their products and after the mistake really blew back on them uh, on the internet and elsewhere they asked themselves how is it Possible that all of us are so well intentioned, really, really smart team. How did this mistake happen? And how did it get vetted? Like through so many people who didn't see what was going on? And the answer was nobody had that sort of historical perspective that impacted the present. So we found that really helpful. And then I'm also doing things like. We have a sponsorship program for BIPOC talent, which is hugely important, and it's something that I want to blow up globally. We just started it in September. The second iteration will be next September. But the idea is to bring relationships with our most senior leaders to BIPOC talent that would not otherwise have them. Right. So and especially now um, that people are not working in the office so much, it's harder to form those relationships. Those relationships are the foundation of career advancement. They're the foundation of enabling you to get the opportunities that will help you to grow, um, the opportunities that show what you can do, the connections with others that are incredibly helpful. And so, it's not gonna happen by itself. So we created a sponsorship program that's going really well and I'm looking forward to making this much bigger. And similarly, we're doing a mentoring program, also just started, same reason, but it's different because as you know, a sponsor advocates for you as opposed to a mentor just kind of talking with you um, behind the scenes. But it's that kind of thing that I think is incredibly helpful and, um, it's helpful not only to the talent that's being sponsored, it's helpful to the executives who are sponsoring them as well because they get to see um, people that they wouldn't ordinarily interact with and they are so engaged. We just had a meeting with our sponsors like a week or so ago and the level of engagement and drive to do as much as possible for the protégés who are all hand-picked and super high-performing was phenomenal. So I think it's incredibly rewarding, you know, for us, it's rewarding for them and it helps to get the organization to where it should be, which is that there's truly a level playing field.
0: I love that. Yes. We talk a lot about mentorship and a little bit about sponsorship here too. I'm very interested in those programs too. Um, Do you have mentors, Judith? Have you had mentors that were most influential and do you mentor?
2: I have. Yes to both. So my most influential mentor, this is so bizarre. But my most influential mentor was this fabulous woman named Shen Sam, who was Elizabeth Taylor's publicist. So um, (laughs) I know everybody has that face when I say it, but that's (laughs) who she was. So years ago, when I was working at a little recruiting firm, I was like her outside HR consultant. So I staffed her firm. And she had, I mean, Elizabeth was obviously the big kahuna there, but she had Carl Lagerfeld, she had Audrey Hepburn, she had a bunch of people. And um, so then she started to rely on me, not just for staffing, but for HR advice. So she would call me to say, I'm having this issue with with so-and-so and what do you think I should do? And um, we just, we became really close and she... She wanted to know why I was working for the person that I was working for, for whom she had no respect. And she said, what do you really wanna do? Um, I wasn't sure at the time, but she was gonna create this licensing, a fragrance licensing business. And she already had all of these celebrities lined up um, for it. So I was gonna work with her on that. And one of the things that we used to talk about was the importance of authenticity. She understood that there were barriers for me as a woman of color. She was so upfront about that. She herself was Egyptian and English. So She was born in, in Egypt. I think her father was Egyptian. Yes, her father was Egyptian. Her mom was English. Her father wanted her to go to um, England to escape what he thought would be the fate of a very smart girl where she grew up. So she had this really fascinating Wife, um, but understood like in a really deep way the challenges that multicultural women can face, and she would always she would tell me how important it was to be myself, to not hide who I was in a business that embraced, treasured, covering in terms of people who did not fit the mold, um, you know, you were supposed to not speak up about anything that like was discriminatory or just, you know, your own point of view that was different from the point of view of a white woman who had grown up in elsewhere, other circumstances. Right. So she was always saying, you need to be yourself. You need to really speak, speak your mind, have your voice out there. and she was an extraordinary model for me and supporter um, for me, and so I I treasure the memory. She's no longer with us, and so um, which is sad, but uh, I cannot think of anyone more influential in helping me to become who I am. And so that was my my great mentoring experience, um, and I've had others too, but she's but one. Um, and then in terms of mentoring, God, I have mentored so many people, I can't even count. Going back to New York Women in Communications, going back to the PRSA Foundation. I, I actually love doing it because I feel like it's really great to be able to give people the opportunity I had. The most important part of which was to be seen, for who they are. Not like, how well do you fit into this organization or how well do you fit into this mold, but who are you? What do you want? How can I help you get there? Uh, what do you need to know? Um, so, I I mentor a lot of scholarship winners from New York Women in Communications, whom I have helped select over the 10 12 years that I've been involved in, in the group. Lots of college students um, from schools that we've had relationships with here um, at Weber Shadwick and through PRSA, people I've met at conferences like ColorCom, so, and people here, people I work with at Weber Shadwick and related agencies. So the list goes on and on. And I, it is one of the most rewarding and I think important things that I can do. Okay,
1: Judith, first of all, we need to get coffee, like your life, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to know the deets, like just so much.
2: <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I mean, I never thought of it as I was just going along, I was just going along and this was what was happening. But when I step back and look at it, I'm like, wow, interesting.
1: I mean, I got a lot of color in my history too, but I mean, you you might have me beat. so we definitely need to do lunch <laughs> or something. <laughs> I'd love to, absolutely. <laughs> um, would love to know your take on the current remote hybrid work situation and whether or not you think does that help or hurt from a DEI perspective.
2: That's such a good question, and it's sort of a double-edged sword. I'm not thrilled with it because I think I think that there is so much collaboration that can take place when people actually see each other face to face. Not every day. God knows people do not need to be in the office every single day and spending, I don't know how much time commuting, but I think a few times a week is not a bad thing. I think from a DEI perspective, it's so interesting. There have been studies of BIPOC people who are, I'm going to break it down a little bit, but I'll say overall, much happier working from home than going to the office because they feel, at least at home, there are far fewer microaggressions than in the office. My feeling is always that people can be just as obnoxious or almost as obnoxious virtually as in person. So that has never been my thing. I mean, the only thing they're not going to do virtually is touch your hair, but anything else is kind of on the table. Um, But I also think, you know, I hear from Asian employees who are in this place of horrendous anti-Asian violence and bias. Sometimes they don't want to leave the house. I get it. I, Absolutely get it. Um, and so for them, this is kind of working out well, also. Um, and then at the same time, from an organizational perspective, it's so much nicer when people can kind of stop by each other's desks or, you know, exchange ideas at the coffee bar or whatever. Um, so I don't think anyone has quite gotten it right yet. I know that there are some organizations that are forcing people to come into the office, I don't know, four days a week, five days a week. It's a little much. Um, and so everybody's looking for that sweet spot where you can get people into the office without necessarily having to bribe them with food, which you know always works. But it would be nice to get them here because you know they just want to be here. So we're all looking for that, like ways to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I think we're all figuring it out and mm-hmm. I know I have learned so much from being in the office, especially as a more junior and mid-level employee. I think you just get to be a part of conversations that you don't when everything is by the invite into a purposeful Zoom meeting as
2: opposed to bumping into each other. Exactly. And I think that, that for people who are just coming into the business, into any business, how would they know how to relate to people um, that they work with if they're only on Zoom calls? It sort of continues that unfortunate trend of having stronger relationships with their devices than they do with people sometimes, and they need to understand how to navigate the corporate environment, right? So, from a social perspective, from a career planning perspective, I think it's Helpful. And I, I worry sometimes too about proximity bias, which is that people, you know, managers are human and can sometimes tend to focus on the people that they see. Right. So if the person is happens to be here next to them, then they're going to get the plum assignment. So you have to be really intentional about making sure that that you're kind of spreading the wealth among teams. And I don't know that young people who are just coming into the business or are thinking about that or understand the impact that can have on them, not just now, but in the future.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Balance is key as always.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Judith, I know we're at Time and, and I know you're an running- Incredibly, incredibly busy executives. So we really appreciate you being here with us. It has been my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll get we'll get coffee and lunch and continue. And if please, that is in and-
2: <laughs> I would love to. I would absolutely love to. I look forward to it. So just That's ping great. me. We'll figure out what works, and I will see you soon. Thank you so Thank much you for Jane being in. with us. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome.
1: This was Grounded Through Change by The Change Agents. We are a boutique recruitment agency at the intersection of technology and communications.
0: Please visit us at thechangeagents.co if you're looking to scale or looking to make a change. Thank you for being with us. Please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Music for Grounded Through Change was written and
1: produced by our partner, Raman Mama. Please give him a follow too.